0: it's Paul Newbegin and welcome to this special episode of the past podcast which I'm going to call the past Eats. this is a new idea that I have so I ask you to bear with me there might be a little bit of scraping plates and Adam my editor advises that you might get hungry but essentially the idea is that me and the chef have a chat as normal but this time we have the food in front of us it helps us get behind the flavors techniques and styles of cookery a lot more so please let me know what you think. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can email me, paul at thepasspodcast.com. You can tweet me at paulnoob. Or you can look us up on Facebook or Instagram where we're under The Past Podcast. Cheers. So I've come over today to the Plum and Partridge, and my guest today is Harrison Baraclough. Thank you so much for joining me, mate. You're very welcome. This is a really beautiful little village, a really cute little settlement, even just outside there. of York. And what a lovely pub. How did you find out about this place? So basically, I had a business um, at the
1: George at Wharf. We were there for 18 months. Uh, we've got two rosettes there, and we had a really, good, really, really good summer quiet winter another good summer and then another quiet winter and we thought we're not going to go into this winter so we decided to come out you know we looked at different options and the owners of the building actually had some more tenants interested so they said do you, do you let's not look at options if you want to get out early you can it's the best choice to do so out looking for employment and um, i came across this and I run another company, the Yorkshire Chef, which does a little bit of recruitment, a little bit of consultancy. And basically I got, I had a look at this as a head chef position and it was a new start for Anthony, who owns this place. He's got the lease on this. So he said, what can you bring? I said, well, actually I can bring a manager. I can bring the whole kitchen team. Let's build it all from scratch. So we've only been here two weeks, you know, and it's ideal. The food we want to cook and the style we want to do, there's nothing more fitting, the The rooms are lovely, there's nine bedrooms, there's, um, the restaurant's lovely, it's a lovely feel,
0: it's all brand new, you know, it's a good equipped kitchen, so good things to come, I hope. Yeah. I mean, we've more or less only just arrived, but it looks so smart, it's really obviously got a really clear identity, so was that something that they said well this is our identity can you fit into it or was it a little bit more of a collaboration well it's the designers have completely done this and the whole theme goes
1: through the rooms into the restaurant into the private dining room so we have to adapt to it but it's got a country feel we've got a lot of country cooking with the style i do and we love game cooking things like that so it fits nicely but to be fair we're still trying to find what we what we're doing find our style a little bit more and that's still developing so we could do that in a pop-up we could do that in a fine dining restaurant and we could do it you know anywhere
0: is it quite exciting now then to have that new start and you can sort of evaluate a little bit about you know what might have worked and not worked before and yeah i think what the problem we had with our other business
1: we tried to please everyone as much as we pushed for accolades we tried to keep locals happy and there's a way of doing that and hopefully this time we'll get it right to look after everybody whereas before we we're on a menu and off a menu and it, that was probably it wasn't the key to success but I think we'll get it right this time I mean it was successful and we we're happy with what we did Um nothing was a long-term plan uh, if it was a long-term plan we'd look at buying a property so with us only having the lease it was just a bit of an extended pop-up really but um we're happy with what we do and we do private dining and we've just built a new website it's all about pushing yourself as much as you know the property as well so with a lot of advice from some people i really look up to the city have a website built so i've just had com built There's still a lot of work to go into it a good friend of mine built it and i'm having a go at keeping a blog the first blog we'll see probably not typed by me saying, excuse the spelling, excuse the grammar because that's not what it's about as a chef. <laughs> you only need to look at go in any kitchen, look at the chef's orders. And it's hard to place them if you if you were the one that wrote them. So excuse that. And it's about getting the ideas down. We're, um I'm not afraid to put tragic as well as magic. So things won't go wrong in the kitchen we'll blog about that. And we'll just keep it going and hopefully we'll get some interest in that. Um and it's also so people can contact us for consultancy and for you know to do a little bit of relief chefing because uh, we do have a quite a good team but at the moment we're focusing on this place so that bit took yeah. a back step but
0: we need all hands on deck here i've seen you um yeah do sort of events and i've seen you on your profile on twitter you know you do like um like food shows and demos and stuff like that so is it a little bit about you know you kind of along with this blog, you kind of want to put your name out there a little bit more now. Definitely, yeah. I love doing demos. Um, there's some people that do demos for,
1: you know, they do it for a career, and I'm speaking to them, and how many did you do last year? And it turns out I did more than them, you know, and I just do it in between shifts, straight back to service after. You know, I absolutely love doing demos. Great Yorkshire show, flower shows, but Harewood House, the great British Food Festival, they're brilliant shows, and you get to network, you get to meet people. You get to showcase yourself, and it's a day out really. When you've been in the kitchen all that time, it's you're still working, but it's uh, it's something exciting.
0: Is there a little bit difference as well when you're cooking in front of people? You know that maybe it puts you on edge because I imagine sometimes when you're sort of tucked away in the kitchen, you kind of get into your habit, get into your rhythm. But when you Talking to people and talking through it, it must kind of make you think as well. Yeah, you get better every time you do it and learn
1: to talk to them. There's been times I've been in a bad mood, gone and, you know, you normally get an hour slot, 40 minutes slot. And I've done the whole dish in 15 minutes. And so they've just had to say, oh, thank you. I said, well, that was ridiculous. You know, you need to learn how to talk the right time, advertise the right time, but then also get your dish done. The the worst one I did was at the instead of doing a, a usual demo at the Great Yorkshire Show, I did a cooking competition. It was like a chef versus chef, but instantly it was myself and another, and we didn't talk, we just cooked to do the competition and I think that must have been bad watching but I won in the end but, yeah Are you quite a competitive person? Not at all no um, the team I have with me we very close knit little family so um, anyone we bring into that team will act like that and they always develop like that any chef that's ever worked for me in the past I have no doubt that I'll be taking them on again in another venue because that's the sort of team we've got you know very close-knit so there's no one to compete with you know there's um we do our thing and look after what we do you know um yeah we like to chase accolades
0: and things but um That'll just come with time. Obviously, like, ahead of the interview, you and I have spoke a couple of times over the phone, and straight away you came across like, this really nice guy, quite softly spoken, and, and you seem really sort of engaged and friendly, which is lovely, thank you, and you give me and my friends a really warm welcome today. But I wonder sometimes how that comes down to, you know, when you are in a hard graft, and you might have yeah. to sort of whip the team, and it's a busy Friday night. Can you step out of that as well? Yeah, I think I was probably just trying to be whip. posh on the
1: phone. <laughs> um, basically. Accent's a big thing, We've, especially when I did MasterChef. I've never seen a, a show play on something so much as when they played on me being from Yorkshire. You know, for me to say Yorkshire portion, and I had to say it in so many ways. And then all of a sudden, Greg Wallace said, "Well, this is a Yorkshire portion." And it's you know that's why I, I developed the Yorkshire Chef a bit because we're proud of the stuff we cook and it's very local. You know, we like to really go season. We like to visit the places of things we cook, and I take the chefs with me. It inspires them you know so the Yorkshire chef's perfect for that you know but um having a close knit team is perfect to get development because we just relax you know get the jobs done and I think when you are rushing a bit you help each other out a bit more there where
0: you see a lot of big kitchens where it's every man for himself did you get a a lot of benefit out of doing something like master chef or was it not as much as you thought? I definitely got some trade from it. You see, I actually applied for it drunk on
1: a Sunday night. I sat drunk doing it. And um, then I took on the first business, the George, and it couldn't happen to not. Although I can't say it's not a no, good job I got to better rounds because everybody wants to win. There's a competitive bit. Yeah. Although doing that looking at if we're going to get more business from it or is it going to help us at all. It did get more business, but if I'd have got to hire more rounds, the business what we opened wouldn't have succeeded because it was all hands on deck, 90 hours a week. It couldn't have happened for me to go off every every other day on a train to London to film. So although I can't say it's not good that I won because I obviously want to win, you know, in the end it came out better. Yeah. So definitely got some business from it, yeah. you know, and you saw Twitter go up a little bit and you saw Instagram go up a bit, but um, not really, you know. Yeah. I think we'd have slowly got busier anyway. We were very local-led, you know.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, obviously, again, I just mentioned to you, as a part of the previous series, we did the sort of MasterChef specials and we had four different sort of stories. And it is really interesting, I've said it before, especially on the sort of when you are a chef, to go in there into that environment, you put in more on the line than you know amateurs do because you have to leave a business you have to trust in it that you've got a strong head chef somebody can run the kitchen while you're out so i'm sure now you probably prefer to be amongst the day-to-day right definitely my whole idea with
1: MasterChef if i had have gone through the rounds through the heats more it was to make those my days off there and back i'd have been absolutely knackered but you know days off i didn't really get days off then but when i did you know, it would have been MasterChef days if I'd have gone higher, so I'd have still been running it, but if anybody wants to do anything like that, you need the team behind you. That's where I would have struggled if I'd have got further. I had the team, but the team wasn't big enough without me for the hours I was doing, so all respect to my team, but you can't lose 60, 70 hours
0: a week in a kitchen and expect that to be picked up by two or three chefs because that's not fair on them. What was the sort of light bulb moment for you then to get into cooking and you know now what motivates you to continue and improve well actually i was a bricklayer by trade went to college to do bricklaying went on
1: a holiday and when i came back went back on site and said to the head bricklayer how's it going have you not heard the company's actually going into liquidization at the weekend, uh, yeah. I was like, oh, great. My college had shut down for Christmas. It was like Christmas week. So I, I thought, I'll just get a bar job just while I'm waiting. Then in January, I'll go back to college. Ended up at Pigeon Forb Hall in, in Stokesley, in Pigeon Forb, near Stokesley, Great it, and, and Pigeon Forb was quite a quiet spot, and they brought in a general manager. I was just learning things. I was at front of house at the time. And that general manager, Richard Bainbridge, said, I'm buying a spot in Firsk, You can have the flat above come be my general manager, you know, and learn everything, so of system manager. And um, you can run it, learn everything you need to know. You can have the flat. So this was my first time moving away from home, I was 17. So that's what brought me up to first. And then, you know, then I'm stuck in the trade then. I ended up in the kitchen. And now, 10, 11 years later, I've done the circuits of North Yorkshire and, you know, ended up doing my own thing. I fully enjoyed it. I wouldn't look back now. It's... It's definitely a way of life. It's not just a job. You know, days off, if I have days off, I come into work. And if you're not working, the only way you're going to develop is constantly learning. And um, I actually do a lot of stages. I must be one of the only head chefs What does all the stages. But um, I took head chef very early in life and I'm not going to learn anymore. These mm. team's only as good as you. You know, sometimes you, you learn things off them, but... To see new techniques, or oh, how do I develop new and bring in new techniques into the kitchen without learning more? So I do a lot of stages. Whenever I can get on one, I'll go, even if it means just doing a day one and I'm back at service for night time, I'll go on stages. And the chefs will say to me, Are oh, you here for a week or the monthly? Just a day, actually,
0: you know. And that's essentially where you're going into a, another kitchen then and basically just learning and taking it in it. and. Shadowing, basically,
1: they're getting a, a day's free prep normally they feed you which is you know that's great to see their tasting menu or something like that but um as long as you go in absolutely get stuck in constantly say what do you need doing remember you're there to help them as much as they're helping
0: you because to have a stage is brilliant you know you've taken some of the weight off and like you said i bet there aren't too many head chefs that go out and do that what drives you to do that is it that wanting to learn and improve completely i just live for
1: Chef life, basically, you know, so I'll see that as a hobby, you know, I I love to do things like that and learn like that. Uh, uh, Networking like that works well. If I'm, like I say, if I'm not here and I'm not doing the consultancy, I'll try and do a stage or something like that, you know, you learn so many different techniques. And Well, I haven't actually done it like that. in different equipment, you get to see different equipment.
0: What would you say sort of is the biggest thing or the most important thing that you've learned? Consistency, definitely. You know, you need to, being a head chef, making
1: a menu, it needs to adapt to your team. So if you're doing a very complex menu and then most places work towards the weekend. So if you have a quiet Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think this is a fantastic menu. And then on a Saturday, Friday night, Saturday night, things aren't the same quality there's no point in doing it you know so you've got to build up the consistency and judge can we adapt to it every single day if we'd got another 30 covers in that night could we do the
0: same standard do you have to you know in those situations when you're doing this stage and you are like say you're a head chef and you go in there do you have to sort of remove yourself and stop yourself from sort of wanting to get up to the past and start calling checks through and no not at
1: all because <laughs> you let you watch you'd only go to um, somewhere where you know you can really learn off so for me i try to look at michelin star kitchen or something so and they really look after you and you know you're going to learn off those guys so you're basically in a bit of an hour sometimes mm.
0: well imagine actually funny enough it's something that i'm considering doing through the podcast actually maybe doing some sort of like audio diary and spending a couple of days in the kitchen and trying to be taught how to cook a little bit more. So it's something that's in the back of my head. So it's, it's very interesting to hear it from yourself. What's the sort of favourite bit of your job? Is it that sort of pleasing people? And-
1: Definitely, yeah. I try and make a thing. Obviously, it can't always happen, but I try to not just run the kitchen, but get out there and talk to every single table. And I have all my chefs do this, carry out at least a course. I think customers love that. So it's the interaction with customers. It's a big deal to them. You can have the best front of house, but it's just something special about the chefs going out talking. So we tend to go more chefs, less front of house. The chefs will carry out more. And running that as a business works better because on your downtime, chefs can be prepping front of house. Um, I've done it myself. Front of house don't just sit around, but it seems there's more pressure on the kitchen. So to have more chefs, less run of
0: house works better and the customers love it, you know. I've been in quite a lot of places that do that and I definitely get value from that as well because there are far too many places I feel that the chefs are removed from the business and I'm fortunate enough in what I do that I get to sort of sit down and and meet with you guys but not every customer is sort of fortunate as I am. I think that's really nice. Does it impact on the service of the kitchen or do you kind of just like flow that through and yeah. realise that people are... We've completely got to make it flow,
1: you know, conversation between the front of house and the kitchen, how's it going to work? I think the front of house will realise that the chefs will probably carry it out, but then on a busier night, if they hear the bell ringing, they can just expect us, you know, mm-hmm. that's where it could get messy, but a very close-knit team can do it and that's essentially what we are, you know, we're friends in and out of work, Every 24 hours, so we know each other so well, it works perfect for us. Bigger hotels and bigger restaurants, perhaps not. A stage I did do was the man behind the curtain, Mm -hmm. and all the chefs carry out pretty much every dish. The front of house are more wet lead focused, and you know, it's brilliant the way they do it, and obviously their chef outfit and uniforms to go with that and it's all part of that atmosphere you know and what's better when anyone's got a question what's better than a chef to say how it's cooked or what it's cooked with because they're the ones that
0: have done it you know So the first time that this experience happened to me was at Noma actually and it feels like it really sort of sparked that trend and, and like I say I really got that value from it so it's interesting to sort of hear your take on it what's it like being in like a michelin star kitchen like the man behind the curtain is it just like a, a bit you're swimming aren't you i actually find
1: working in michelin star kitchens i actually find it easier there's more chefs they don't like the pressure whereas a two rosette um young free rosette restaurant something like that there might be two or three of us and you're on every single section Whereas a Michelin star kitchen, you can be on one dish, one garnish, and you're sending that for four months, you know. So I actually think it's a lot easier, although the understanding of food's got to be better, the understanding of your staff's got to be better. But um, to me, bistro food is a lot harder mm-hmm. uh, to me, but many would argue that differently.
0: One of the things that I'm trying to do in this series is is sort of break down an element of cooking like just like a fundamental element it's something like um around how to properly season or how to properly prepare a dish or how to cook like you mentioned game earlier that might be quite interesting to talk about i wondered if you have something like a question that people ask you a lot that maybe we can sort of break down and explore a little bit more the number one question we get from
1: customers is traceability i think it's a yorkshire thing people like to know where things have come from So we like to have a good story behind that, let them know that we've actually been to the farms. We've actually been to see the butchery work, you know, if it's coming, what butchery work we've done. Customers seem to love that. So we really make sure all staff front of house kitchen are clued up on where things have come from, why it's in season, whether we've grown it ourselves in our kitchen garden, why we've got it, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. so funny enough actually as we were driving up here i saw um cows in the field and partridge roaming around and i wondered actually why game comes in in autumn is that just because of how they're bred and the ages that they come to yeah and it's a type of animal it is, i suppose yeah. you know that's um it's quite an autumnal yeah thing. hibernation Hibernation to be to do with a lot of them. Yeah. When you get some game through the door, which you must get quite a bit, what are the sort of key elements in like butchering the in the bird? In a bird, basically
1: feathers off first, which is the messiest job. Obviously, we get a lot of pheasants and grouse and things. We'll hang them, we'll have somewhere good to hang them. You know, get the proper aging on
0: them. What does that just lets the meat. Settle in, does it sort of thing to hang the meat that's right and they say it gets rig- mortis. right okay yeah that um, makes sense so
1: that's a must making sure it keep everything fresh you know do the butchery work on them and basically get them straight from cooking to the plate you know keep it flowing rather than holding anything
0: mm. and is that something you've sort of taught yourself or is that things that you'll have learned throughout your because obviously some restaurants won't butcher the animals themselves they'll have it come in and be prepared more or less is that something that you've taught yourself or if you've
1: time and obviously lots of commercial butchers do so much work for you if it's time get a whole carcass in of anything even if say, you know you wanted um, you had 10 pheasant breasts get eight in, and then you know and one full bird Um, If you can do something with all of the bird, even better. And that's how you're going to learn. The more you can do and practice, 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 the better. So with our chefs, what we do is we actually get things from farms and such. So you have to do it yourself and you have to learn. I think that's with the area we are. Mm. It is a big part of game cooking and things. But um, even getting in full pigs, butchering it down,
0: seeing how much we can use, learning. It's all on the internet if you don't know, unless you've got something to learn from. Again, there's one thing that you must have to learn. You're saying that you go out and visit the farm. So you must almost have to almost have like a checklist to say, right, this is a good farm. The animals are well looked after. You know, they can be reliable and deliver me the meat often. That must be kind of a different skill set to cooking. Yeah, you can see the pride in some butchers.
1: We've got some butchers, what we use, and they take you on the farm. They show you right from the field the whole care situation of it. And
0: that's when you know you've got the quality meats. And I suppose part of your mantra has got to be you can only be as good as the produce that you're getting in, right? Yeah, it goes
1: as far back as that, definitely.
0: Because I guess you can do as, as much to it as you like, but if you've not got the quality, you're definitely. kind of... You kind um, of it. And it's getting. you can see
1: it's getting more and more fashionable to do less. People are doing less and just letting natural ingredients showcase... Where myself, I like to bit the other way. I like to do quite a lot with um, ingredients. Although you can't change good quality, good quality produce. What
0: are your sort of favourite like chefy things to do? What are the sort of processes and what are the sort of things that you really enjoy doing? We like to do a lot of slow cooking,
1: but mixing textures on our plates. So you know, we'll choose two or three ingredients. It might be. Um, you know, if we've got beef, just slow cook part of it, but then have um, a little bit of fillet as well, rather than just one part. And then we'll choose onion. So we'll have some onion, uh, we'll have some crispy shallot, some onion puree. So we tend to choose two or three ingredients and what we know will go, and then do different textures of them. So finding different ways of doing it, or dehydrating and making a puree, gels that's where we like to get technical with that and um but not got too many
0: ingredients and then you probably can't go wrong then i find it interesting because i've kind of gone past asking the question of style now because i think it's number one obviously when you do so many interviews i'm starting to hear the same sort of answers so i've asked you about your style in a in a sort of different way there so that it's really interesting to hear that you know that be playing with the textures and doing that this is like what i'm now, trying to understand as a chef, you probably must have cooked dishes in X amount of different ways before then. You cooked a dish in this way, and do you know what? That now is my style. How do you kind of decide that?
1: I actually don't really think you can have a style as much. I think if you have too much of a style, you can get boring because if you tend to find you're doing the same thing with different types of meat and different types of fish, eventually your dishes are going to blend together a little bit. So, on a tasting menu, there's not going to be that wow factor i can honestly say we don't have a a massive style like i say we do seem to choose less ingredients and do textures of that ingredient rather than going over the top with different choices but you have to do as many different techniques of cooking as you can to keep interesting in my eyes
0: is that for you to keep interesting to yourself as
1: well sort of thing definitely to keep interesting in myself although They look at it from a customer's point of view. They're going to want to experience different styles. That's why people have tasting menus. And, you know, if you want the same bar in food, why not start a big portion of the same thing?
0: One of my favourite things now to do is plan out a dish. But the only difference between me and you is you can execute them. And I'm learning, I'm teaching myself, but, you know, I'm getting there. When you're planning out a dish, how do you know that you're going to be able to sort of achieve it. Does that make sense? Is that a weird question? Experience
1: and knowledge will help you know, although I must change a dish, get it wrote down, tell someone to type it up, and I must change it three or four times <laughs> while they're typing it up. So I can't be decisive. So you're an nightmare then? Yeah. yeah, completely. So just add a little bit more. Does it need a different texture, as we are saying? You know, so there isn't a way of doing that. I guess it's just knowing your limitations. Exactly, and... definitely. Knowing your limitations, knowing what you want to do with the dish. You can have an uh, end image of how you want it to be, but you might change on that journey a little
0: bit. And where will you start? Will you start with pad and pen and draw it, or will you start writing down ingredients, or do you just look at the ingredients and start cooking? Or We always look at your main protein. All right,
1: We're going to put duck on, a few ideas for duck what fruits what vegetables will go and then how we're going to deliver that fruit and vegetable how we're going to cook what cooking technique how we're going to put that with it and then that's how they develop and then that's when you start exploring ideas and you start getting the passion going talking amongst yourselves with your chefs and that's how we develop dishes
0: so yeah like i mentioned you know the, the next sort of steps is we're going to stay and have some lunch and hopefully you're going to talk us through some of your dishes today if that's okay which yeah. is going to be brilliant but first before we do that i think it's probably important to talk about how people can find you You mentioned you've got the website i follow you on twitter as well that's mainly we've been tweeting and texting it's plum and partridge plum partridge at husweight obviously this has got social media and
1: a website also if anyone's following me Go on my new website, com, and it's got links to um, the Plum and Partridge. It's got links to my Twitter and Instagram. I actually use the Instagram as the gallery, and it all ends up in one thing. So you've only got to follow one, and you'll soon get the idea of where we are and what we're doing. You know, we're looking at different ways of advertising here. Reputation's good. So
0: hopefully we'll just build and build on that. I'm really, really buzzing to try some of the food. And like I mentioned before, the restaurant itself is, is really beautiful. So from initial impressions, you know, it's, it's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm really, really excited to really buzz in. So in this second segment of the interview, this is where we get down and try the dishes. So as I mentioned, beware, there may be this time a little bit of scraping of plates and munching but I'm looking at ways to get this so it's a lot better listing for you. Please bear with me, it's a new idea, and I'm just trying to try out something new to keep you guys excited. Cheers, and thank you again to Harrison.
1: Basically, the dishes I've chosen here are favourites off the menu at the moment, which is forever changing. We don't do seasonal changes with the menu. What we do is we'll change a couple of starters the following week and main course, or a couple of desserts. We just, as and when we choose... There's that much food out there and that much um, ingredients. It's pointless just doing one and sticking with it for three months. we get regulars then what are happy with that because they'll they come and say what's new and they'll just delete whatever we advise them to eat on what is <laughs> new. You know. And with a tasting menu, that's how the tasting menu changes. Well, it's the new dish going onto that. Bulk it out, put it on the a la carte. So we do change a lot. And these are three dishes what we've got at the moment. So like I was saying about the textures we do, this is a clear indication of what we do so three ingredients basically here we've got beetroot goat's cheese and mozzarella so basically what we've got is a beetroot gel we've got the baby beetroots which we've just poached so we've done a gel we've done the beetroot and we've done pickled so that's three three different textures of it we've got mozzarella across there and the goat's cheese with just make some little goat cheese bonbons, a bit of crispiness. And then we've done a goat's cheese snow, which we'll just grate onto the plate at the end. So that's, um, you know, the only three ingredients there. But it looks like there's lots of different things. Mm. So it's all in the prep, actually, and then putting it together. Over with the venison, we've got capaccio venison. We've got some lovely raw chestnut mushroom, which gives it an earthy taste Is what we're trying to do with this dish. We've got the parsnip puree. crisp so and once again textures and then the woodland forage crisps in the uh, antlers over there is all the different flavours from when we've liked to go foraging in the local area we've dehydrated that down and made some crisps and then seasoned it with that flavour so you've got hopefully a woodland flavour which goes lovely with the chestnut mushroom which gives it like the earthy taste and the venison's
0: just the Capascio there sealed off and served perfectly that's really unique, and it's got a lovely story. So, where will the idea of something like that will have developed?
1: Basically, myself and the chefs—we love to go foraging. So it's not just looking at the um, the flavours; it's the smells with that with that dish, because you can smell the woodland, so to speak, in the crisps. A starter, a capacio, something you'd put on quite often. We've got pomegranate in there, which just lightens it up. That's it, really. It's, it's
0: amazing. It, we're quite happy the, with that dish. The presentation on all of these dishes are amazing. This even looks like it could almost be like inspired by like a dessert, a scotch cheese dish. Well, yeah, the colours in it. You've
1: got, you've got lots of colours and so many different varieties of beetroot. And you've got the, the snow, which probably, for dessert, it looks a little bit like coconut yeah that's what, that's what i thought it that's was when i first looked looking. yeah
0: yeah <laughs> but, um, so is that something you kind of quite like to do is sort of play with people's expectations
1: yeah we're certainly not an experimental kitchen or anything anything like but like i say we stick to just a few ingredients and add different textures of it and if we are finding a style that's what we tend to do and it's not overcomplicating the dish then mm-hmm. um and then with your main course there you've got three ingredients you've got beef onion and shallot looks amazing and it smells
0: so good too
1: so basically the beef two different types we've we've got the beef cheek there what we've cooked for hours and hours with coffee so it's got a coffee flavor to that beef and just mild the other protein on there is a saline what we've water bath down uh, during service and it's just lovely to slice nice and pink we do little fondant potatoes, and then for the onion, we've got baby onions. We've got a charcoal grill, so some shallots on there, and then we've made an onion ash to go with the black theme. So you know, we've really done the cinders of the onion and nasturtium leaf just to go with
0: the nice peppery taste. So this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. So can we uh, can we crack on and you yeah, can talk completely. through? Yeah. So where should we start? You choose. Okay, all for you. What would you suggest? The capacio. OK, well, I hope you're going to eat some with me, are you? Yeah, I'll have Good. a nibble. OK. Uh, chefs, <laughs> I tend to not eat that much, <laughs> at least, and then I'll binge
1: when I get home. Yeah, because there's no way I'm going to get through all of this. So you've got the crisp. OK. Crispy taste uh Capaccio as you'd expect. And with this dish, try and get a bit of everything. Okay. So you've got a parcel You could also turn it into a pack, like a parcel, parsnip flavour there you the raw mushroom lovely
0: earthy taste we get one of these as well yeah get a little crisp hmm. those crisps was, yeah just really go with that carpaccio yeah it just brings it brings it really alive and how will you cook that carpaccio so
1: that's been marinated overnight we use a bit of foraged spice a few a few ingredients what we have actually foraged what would turn into a dried herb and mm-hmm. um, marinate it over with oil and then basically we just seal it mm-hmm. and then set it and mm-hmm. it's ready to go mm-hmm. and we turn it over a lot so you know we'll do it every day so it's you know yeah stays fresh stays nice and um what are these little bits again remind so me so you've got a different texture of parsnip there amazing. parsnip
0: puree just dotted around um which helps spread it about a bit and yeah. you've got the crisps as well these are amazing i've not tried anything like that before
1: you know, we honestly that dish we've only had on a week, and I don't even know where where I made this dish up. <laughs> you know, we're out foraging. I knew I wanted to put a flavour into the crisps, but. Um if i'm being completely honest we had these antlers and i was going to do capaccio beef
0: mm-hmm. um, really smart, as a dish we like thought a, yeah antlers in a yeah. in a
1: bowl presentation we thought let's do capaccio beef but then we're, we're out foraging i thought you know if we turn this to venison we can make the whole thing a woodland theme mm-hmm. and i've got a
0: reason to use these yeah <laughs> that's the main reason that's um, interesting though because it's almost like you're trying to sort of fit something in with what you've you've got so. yeah You've almost got something there. You know you want to use it. These like It's, it's just a lovely little serving bowl, which looks like antlers. And then you have made put these crisps in, and they're incredible. They're so tasty. Do you know what it is originally? Mm-hmm. It's a candle holder. <laughs> I was going to say that, actually. It's a candle holder. <laughs> but we've
1: put the little um, ramekin inside it, and it looks like it's made for it, but mm. a candle holder
0: originally. Um, what the, was the thought on the beef then on uh, using the pomegranate with the beef so the venison it's, oh, sorry um, venison my mistake it's completely um, just to nice lighten it
1: up so it's not all that gives that a little bit sharpness in mm-hmm. um, when you're going through the whole dish otherwise it might just go a little bit bland mm-hmm. with all the flavours being so woodland and earthy you know so that's literally just a you know freshen mm-hmm.
0: it up nice sharp taste it's so of the the season as well and it's Really light, but autumnal and... Yeah, that's the idea with that
1: dish. That's the idea with most of our menus, really. Mm-hmm. And that's why we change so often, you know, rather than just doing a seasonal seasonal dish. What's the etiquette
0: now? Should I I should finish this, should I? <laughs> no, you, you can't just eat as much as you want. Taste, taste through it all. Let's go for the second dish, because yeah. I, I can eat for a, a million people, so I'm then, sure none of that's going to be sent back. With this, we've got the, the beetroot. So we've got the
1: mozzarella we've got the beetroot cooked in different ways so you'll you'll get different flavours of beetroot the little baby beetroots actually taste different already we've got the candy, stripey so you've got that you've got inside the goat's cheese it's so creamy, the goat's cheese in the bonbon when you cut into that, that spreads right through the dish and the goat's cheese snows start to melt so you should get the goat's cheese flavour right through the whole dish
0: OK, so I'm going to start with a little bonbon so what, you just deep fry these, were you? That's right.
1: They've just been done in a panko breadcrumb. We did do an arrucini to start off, but there's just no need. We Just mm. stick with the goat cheese. It's mm. extremely good quality. Mm. So just stick
0: with that. It's interesting to... So this is the mozzarella here. Mozzarella. It's interesting to have that as the star because goat cheese and beetroot is such a well-known flavour, but then to add the mozzarella as well. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I find goat cheese a little bit too
1: creamy. We're in Yorkshire, the portions need to be a bit bigger. <laughs> if the, um, all goat's cheese, it might just get that a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Whereas mozzarella has its similarities, but it's, um, you just got through and a bit nicer. Mm.
0: This is a great way of interfering, I have to say. Mm. No, it's just literally, you just whip top some goat's cheese and put that in there.
1: That's it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Whipped ale.
1: We've made it a little bit creamier, but mm. um, you can get some goat cheese. In what a work. fantastic veggie one as well. Yeah. We tend to make sure we've got lots of uh, vegetarian options, gluten-free options, but what we actually write on our menu is, let the chef come out and talk to you. Mm-hmm. And pretty much most of the dishes can be made gluten-free. Mm-hmm. We've got enough ingredients to be able to do that for you obviously if you're going to have a sticky toffee pudding and they've been made. It, it's funny watching people because these dishes have been on four or five days. Our best selling by far is the beef, mm. uh, the venison, a ham hock and scallop starter, what we've just put on. Mm. That's definitely the best selling but because we cater for everyone you've brought your friends in and said can we feed you as well What would you mm. like fish and chips, sausage and mash? <laughs> we believe the quality is the same but we've just catered for everybody along a menu what it's got quite mm. a good spectrum.
0: So hopefully they're enjoying the fish and, and I have to say, yeah, it looked, it looked incredible. And it's nice to have that sort of light and shade where you have got these sort of more well-presented dishes. And then, like you say, you've got those recognisable favourites, which is great. Definitely, yeah. You've got
1: those favourites, what you tend to not really yeah. mess around with. Then again, you can change ingredients, to do like a champ mash, do, you know, all sorts. Mm. Do you, like get
0: hungry looking at your own food never, never
1: really.
0: look, at it. look at it 13 14 hours a day because um, i would i don't have a pot noodle <laughs> <laughs> definitely not this is uh this is incredible what's the little so that's bit given the texture here uh, that's the pickled so it's cubed up and pickled there beetroot. Mm. Be it just gives it that little yeah. bit of texture and well, crunch. Yeah. so yeah. essentially that's raw so it's mm. um who have been pickled only very mildly. So I can completely see what you're saying now when both of these two dishes that we've tried so far, it's like that trying to get the different layers of... Different layers,
1: that's it, and not over-complicating, although still doing a lot.
0: Where will you sort of start then on like a vegetarian dish? Do you start with like, you say the sort of mozzarella and beetroot combination? So for that, like you would or... literally
1: look and think, right, let's do beetroot. Mm-hmm. And let's have a cheese with it, you know, so let's do mozzarella, let's do goat's cheese. But beetroot's the main part of that dish
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you've got like the discs of beetroot and the individual bits Mm. it's absolutely so fresh as well really really fantastic classic combination but just done in an interesting way Mm. do you get um, a good value out of this uh, you know talking to the guests through the dishes what they thought yeah, customers and guests, they, they love to be critics.
1: But they also, <laughs> you, you got to listen to them, mm-hmm. see what people want. And a chef in cooking has got so big now, lots of people say, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. And lots of chefs will say that. But they actually do because mm-hmm. it's all over. So they actually know what's in season, what's pairing, you know, um, the favourite, what only a chef's meant to know. So, <laughs> so it, it is good to listen. You yeah. can learn from anyone.
0: Let's... uh. I'm going to. Onto the beef? Yeah, let's do it. I feel bad, like, just eating in front of you. No, you're quite all right. This is amazing. That's, this is a, a proper portion, this. I like this. So that's yeah. what you're saying about you. So, onto the tasting,
1: that, this would be a la carte oh, style. It smells incredible. Onto a tasting, it's all those ingredients just a little
0: bit smaller, so you're mm-hmm. getting just the same experience. And I can see, like, the sort of charred elements on here yeah. as well. So, we've got the charred shalot, we've gonna, got the, I'm not the mess onion ash. A
1: so you've got an onion puree there and you mix in that with the coffee braised beef so it's beef cheek that's been cooked down for hours in the coffee mm. um, to give it different, just melts in your mouth Yeah, different texture of beef we've got the water bath with the sirloin there and that's cooked pink mm. and seasoned up at the end we've got the um, little fondants that is incredible and the fondants have been finished off in a little bit of beef fat so I love these it things. continues with the beef flavour there let's go for it so how do you cook these fondants exactly? So we seal them off, um, and then we cook them in a in a stock. Mm-hmm. And we just get them nearly there in the stock. And then towards a during service, we'll put those in the pan with some butter. And then just to finish off, we just put a spoonful of that beef fat in and just brown them up in the beef fat once they're at the right temperature, which just um, puts the colouring on them a little bit more.
0: Especially with that shallot, it's incredible. So nice with that sort of charred flavour but not too much just light really good flavor on here this beef looks cooked exactly to my liking too how do you like to cook your beef you know for the customers i actually tend to go more
1: medium rare if it's something in a water bath like that pink and it's fine but if it's steaks which as much as i don't like cooking steaks as you don't get to play around as much you're going to get people in restaurants coming in the load of a steak no matter what so the best thing to do with steaks is just go for quality mm-hmm. and that's where we say it's less about the chef and more about the produce mm-hmm. but um, obviously each cut's are preferred in different ways but most cuts are uh, medium rare because mm-hmm. I think you want that little bit of caramelisation on it mm.
0: it's absolutely perfectly cooked it goes really nicely again with the with the onion as well mm. I'm just going to sit here and eat all of this I hope you don't mind no no oh. I'm sure it probably would, it would uh, be an insult, right, not to finish all the off. That's right. <laughs> like in China. If you leave some in, so I'll we'll have to bring more, <laughs> more food where And you get, I take it, real enjoyment out of empty plates coming back into the kitchen, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Um, we've got good staff here always. You know, you can actually tell. Have you noticed that this has been coming back to that different textures. Like we are saying, that texture is obviously not the f- most favorite because there's some of that left every time or mm-hmm. if anything, um, bear in mind, is it because there was too much of it on the plate? Is, yeah. You know, yeah. so
0: you got to judge it all the time. Mm-hmm. And is that quite a open conversation? And Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're happy to speak to customers
1: about it. We, we want to learn mm-hmm. and know everything about it, you know, else it won't get
0: better for the next customer when you've finished in your head a dish like this and you played it up for the first time will you sit around a table like this with your staff and talk them through it and yeah normally we'll, we'll cook one and we try to get
1: everybody who's on shift to come and taste it mm-hmm. and if it's a big shift it's a mouthful mm-hmm. but we talk about it we learn about it mm-hmm. and you know there's always bits left in the pan how can you tweak it how can you change it mm-hmm. so it's changing a lot anyway but um it's important every mm-hmm. part of staff, including myself, can tell the story what goes with the dishes, which is what we're trying to do with them. You know, like I said, this is all about the forage in there, that's about the true and bringing it into a winter with the mm-hmm. snow theme. Mm-hmm. So, um,
0: and when you w- do the tasting in these, we have like
1: wine pairings as well. Yes, yeah, and that goes out of my expertise. <laughs> um, if it's wet, I drink it, but uh, <laughs> basically. Um, we've got the staff there who have a lot of experience in wine and, and we'll try and tackle this uh, spring onion you know and the will be able to recommend and we put that on the menu mm-hmm. even with the a la carte menu there's some recommendations mm-hmm. for that particular dish even if it only lasts a couple mm-hmm. of days that dish will change again if we can get a wine in for it we will you know and that's part of the fun you mm-hmm. know even for the chefs as well you know take interest in it
0: what have you done to that spring onion was there a bit of pickle on there or it just gone in the pan with the beef fat at the end mm-hmm. Really nice. Just had that little sharpness to it. It's good. <laughs> good, good. That's probably just me. You, you're more than welcome to tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> not, nobody's wrong. You know, you
1: get what you get from a dish. And so, uh, as long as it's enjoyable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very subjective, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. Food sometimes. And you must have that sometimes when you get customers in who, like you say, they believe they're an expert and you kind of just have to nod and... Yeah, to please people if you're going to find your own style in cooking,
1: the more style you get and the more developing your own style, the more you'll probably get criticised because it's more out of the ordinary. I'd probably say we're quite safe, hmm. whereas other places will have big, bold flavours and we tend to
0: blend it, you know. We, we probably need to bowl up a little bit more but um, but then there are some really bold choice i mean these i'm going to finish that little plate of the crisps yeah like, that's something really interesting a little and, bit different and also that's why that's that's got a, a is separate to the dish so
1: you can add as little or as much to mm-hmm. it as you want mm-hmm. so we're not overpowering the venison mm-hmm. there
0: this is brilliant i have to say i'm really getting a lot out of it, it it's very rare very lucky for a guest to come and actually talk it through the chef and where the ideas come from it 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 just sort of brings it to life a bit more and i guess that's what you said earlier about the chefs bringing it out to the customer as well yeah definitely you know that's part of the whole
1: experience here something we want to do more of you know and the only reason we wouldn't do it as much as we do now is staffing issues you know Mm. but the more we develop and the more this place can develop the more we'll concentrate on that ethos behind it you know the whole experience and my guys we've um the kitchen, they can they mm. can do anything on the bar. They can do anything with the coffees. I really the, genuinely am going to finish this. They're the the, the, <laughs> quite alright. They're so delicious. Especially through when we were at the George, mm-hmm. we weren't just chefs. Mm-hmm. You know, they did checkouts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps with the personality. Mm-hmm. If you're a genuinely nice person, everyone. It's lovely to be able to do that. So anyone can be on shift. The only one what's a bit restricted is obviously the chefs. To the chefs mm-hmm. for their cooking qualification, mm-hmm. so to speak. But then as far as front of house, we've got managers who put the pieces together, and make everything run smoothly.
0: Although the chefs can do everything they can do, but we just not as well. That was incredible. Yeah. Really, really delicious. When you um, you know have an idea sort of behind a dish, and you kind of right, I really want to do this. You have to really sometimes like force yourself to just write. Okay, let's do it. Practice it, and if it kind of goes wrong the first time, that's great. But Definitely, just yeah. develop all the time. We'll
1: get ingredients in. Try it. You know, always make time to try new things with the ingredients, and then if it doesn't work, turn it into a patty, <laughs> <And laughs> something like that. But um, that's the fail safe, is it? Yeah. But you know, you can see it. so much we could have done with venison there. Um, we could have turned that into a main course. We didn't have. We didn't have to make that Capaccio. Beetroot can mm. can be a garnish. It can be developed around the whole dish. Mm-hmm. So we actually just taken off a fish dish with the beetroot. So those baby beetroots had multiple use in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how you can develop because you're seeing other other garnishes yeah. and other ingredients okay. on different dishes. Mm. Yeah.
0: And again, it's like that when you're in into the seasons, there must be a little bit of sort of blending. And now, you know, moving into real winter, you're thinking, well, that is this quite autumnal and then we can bolden it up a little bit. Yeah, and people
1: want a little bit of comfort in, in winter. So you'll tend to find the comfort foods do sell more. And we, we put just as much pride in them, you know, we've got the uh, sausage and mashes what your friends had there it's we've done an onion
0: onion jelly with it. we've done some crispy shallot on top just to give textures mm. again it's good quality it looks amazing mash. it came out I mean I have to say I was a little bit distracted with all this amazing looking food but it it looked brilliant and we know? make all our own stocks and everything so all that's gone into yeah.
1: any sauces you know that sauce has been used on this a la carte beef dish as well as a sausage amazing. mash
0: amazing so the is the same yeah that's really cool is it really important to have like that sort of pride behind your food
1: definitely there's no point in doing it otherwise really you hear of a lot of chefs and know, I know a lot of chefs what just do it to be paid but the truth is I was on about this the other day unless you're in a, a very lucky position you could work nine till five unless you're in a very high paid chef job but you could work nine till five in a factory or an office and earn the same money go to the gym go for a pint and be sat at home watching Peaky Blinders by eight <laughs> o'clock. Um, so why bother doing it as a chef? Yeah. Um, if you haven't got the passion to do it, because what's the point in going home? If you get a split shift, you go home, you do absolutely nothing. You mm-hmm. wait to go back to work. So mm-hmm. what's the point in doing that six days a week uh-huh. uh, for the same amount of money? Obviously, you weak, the rewards financially as well. The more you put into it, I've had some good paying jobs, you know, and I've, to develop, I've taken some less financially jobs to um push further forward and that shows the passion because if it's not all about the
0: money it's uh, yeah definitely definitely. it's all about you know your improvement do you get much time to spend away from from the restaurant yeah well i have a little boy so i
1: i have him two nights a week although and days he's started school now so i've got the days to myself a little bit more that's my time my freddy times my time which i take away that's important to me but he's in that world of being with a chef as well so if we pop in you know we do something and if we pop in here he knows he can go get a fruit shoot or something <laughs> like that and there's excitements to that i think the um most upsetting thing uh, he's ever done is this is when i i had the George at Wharf, saw an airplane in the car and um i said freddie look at that airplane where's it going you've not been talking long and he started pointing at it and I said look it's going on holiday I don't wonder where it's going and he went Macro <laughs> oh god do I take him to Macro that many times on my day off you know so that's bad so, yeah. that's the chef's son there he gets to go to Macro but does he get a big big tub of Haribo
0: sweets or something yes he does yeah. so, <laughs> pros it's a win-win isn't it yeah definitely oh, that's, that's, really, that's really funny bless him fast forward a few years down the line your son's grown up and it's just, dad uh, you know i want to be a chef would would you encourage him i would i encourage him to do whatever he wants to do and he'll develop that himself
1: There's pros and cons of being a chef you can take any job to whatever level you want so be proud of him whatever he does as long as he does something you know he'll, he'll do just fine with whatever he chooses i'm sure up to now i don't think you can be uh part of the Paw Patrol without being a cartoon dog so I think he needs to give his career a bit of a, a th- I think about before before he turned 17 18 but he's got some years to go yet well
0: I mean you know this is your other baby now this restaurant yeah definitely and Yeah, I really think you know continuing that metaphor with this style of food you can grow it you can nurture it the food that I've just eaten there I have to say is really really impressive especially seeing you enjoyed it for that long two and a half weeks yeah but
1: the beauty of it is this was like a a startup so we have come in i've brought my whole team so if you went in as a head chef you'd have to develop to the get used to the other chefs Mm -hmm. get used to the equipment this has got better equipment than what i could afford when i had the george so that's a bonus there and the same staff we work exactly the same way and we've been entrusted to do our style and develop what we're doing this chefs carry out the the textures of the food a bit of the theater to (laughs) it that's all there so basically it's just a different coat of paint we've come in we're doing what we
0: want to do you know hopefully it'll be a success for it it was amazing thank you so much i really really got a lot out of that thank you thank you for listening to the past podcast if you haven't already please subscribe and follow me at paul newb on twitter for updates on the next podcast If you can, I'd really appreciate a nice review. Just leave a few words and it helps other people find us. The past podcast is edited and mixed by Adam Linder from Bespoken Podcasting. Craig Fields from Ambient Light provides technical support. With thanks to Ruby Chow for booking support.